This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. This podcast has bad words. <laughs> every little thing you think that you need, every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed, oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Today, we're here with Jamie Wheel, author of the brand new book, Recapture the Rapture. Jamie, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, I'm holding up the book here for YouTube. If folks are watching this on YouTube, otherwise you can find it in the show notes if you're listening to this. Jamie, we have so much to talk about today. So um, we're going to talk about our constant search for meaning and purpose and significance. We're going to... The title of your... Or I'm sorry, the subtitle of your book, Rethinking God, Sex, and Death in a World that Has Lost Its Mind. Mm. We're going to th- talk about that. Now... Let's talk about meaning to start. Now, this is a listener-driven show, mm-hmm. and so we have some questions from our audience. But I thought I thought we would start with talking about meaning, our obsession with meaning. What is the meaning of life, and what does meaning even mean? In your book, you actually talk about meaning 1.0 versus meaning 2.0, and mm-hmm. also there's a meaning 3.0. I thought maybe we could start there as a discussion point. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the simplest thing is to realize, I think most of us are in, you know, what clinicians call should or go blind territory right now, right? We're sort of finding ourselves guardrail to guardrail in a sort of schizophrenic sense of like what on earth is going on in the world? And, and, and it's not that we've all gone crazy, (laughs) you know, the world has. So -hmm. like that actually, in fact, uh, Jay Krishnamurti, the the Indian philosopher famously said, he said, it's no sign of health to be well adjusted to a society that's sick. So the fact that we're all feeling stress, feeling anxiety, constantly doom scrolling our news feeds, that's actually a healthy response to a world that's gone off the rails. Mm. And we all know, I mean, you know, people use fancy terms like a meta crisis yeah. <laughs> that we're going on. It's not just one thing, right? It's not just that we have political divisions and we're no longer close and trusting with our neighbors. It's not just that there's potentially ecological impacts or extreme weather events that you guys in California, us in Texas, you know, pretty yeah. much everywhere in between have been experiencing and folks all around the world yeah. have been experiencing. It's not just um, that our global economy and markets are wildly volatile and you know now these days people are talking about what sort of recession might we be in now and is it v-shaped like a quick bounce off the bottom and back <laughs> up to happy times or is it u-shaped or you know and then they're like hey guys it might be k-shaped <laughs> right? and that just means hey everybody if you're reading this and you don't understand what k-shaped is it means you're already fucked <laughs> right so, yeah. so basically it just means you know the 0.01 percent ma- managed to harvest an awful lot and everybody else in the sort of quote-unquote literally it gets put in quotes the real economy mm. <laughs> right not assets not investments not, you know n- not that kind of thing end up um, struggling harder to stay in place. Mm-hmm. So, so let's just acknowledge that times are increasingly intense and increasingly complicated yeah. and that that can overwhelm our familiar landmarks and handrails. And when we feel overwhelmed, we end up feeling stressed, isolated, alienated, separated. So that's kind of like the stuff out there, right? And then most of us, you know, 
all humans, all animals, we're very efficient creatures. Like we are always trying to take shortcuts to get the maximum bang for our buck out of a calorie. You know, they do all those studies where like how far will a squirrel go from the squirrel feeder to go grab the nut in the winter, you know, or how far will a bird fly to get a seed? And we do the same with decision-making. Basically, most of our bodily sense, the, the Lisa Feldman Barrett, who's got appointments at Northeastern University and at Harvard Medical School, uh, wrote a rad book called How Emotions Are Made. And she's basically saying, hey, you know all that thing, like we've got 37 emotions and you can pick them out on the micro muscles on your face and that kind of thing. She's like, yeah, not so much. That's actually way more culturally constructed than you'd think. You know, like an, mm-hmm. like an American, like howdy partner with big toothy grin might express happiness, but a tiny upturned corner of a smile in Japan might mean the same thing, like okay. all this kind of stuff. But she right. says, hey, actually, we interoception is what we have even before emotion. And it's literally what we feel in our guts, our viscera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And basically, all we are is a prediction engine. We're just trying to figure out what to do next. Do I need to ramp up? Do I need to slow down? And she says, it's either, it's just one of four things. We're either active or passive, and we're positive or negative, right? So like mm-hmm. active positive is I'm happy. Active passive is I'm content. You know, negative passive is I'm depressed. Negative active, I'm angry, Yeah. right? And so we're just a prediction engine. Right. And we're just constantly trying to figure out, do I need to throttle up, throttle down to get ready for like, even if I open the door, like, is that a spring loaded door? How hard do I have to pull? Like all that. So much of our bandwidth is dedicated to that. So we're always trying to take efficient shortcuts to figure out what to do next. Mm. And the fancy term for that is heuristics, Mm -hmm. which basically just means rules of thumb. Yeah. Right. If this, then that most of the time. Right. I'm going to look around and see what everybody else is doing. I'm probably going to go with do what they do because that's a safe bet. All these kind of moves. So. As we're facing this super crazy complex meta crisis, right, mm. and every and the amount of information we receive is overwhelming us, mm. we look for shortcuts to figure out what it all means. Mm. And the classic way is to look to established authorities that are trustworthy to tell us. Right. Right. So this was a long ass setup to get to, right? Meaning 1.0 mm. and meaning 2.0. So we've kind of had two pillars of who are the trusted authorities? We've got kind of benign authority, like basically the secular society. We've got academic institutions, MIT, Harvard, Stanford, those kind of places. We've supposedly benign. Supposedly. Well, yeah, we'll get to, we'll get to the collapse, right? Because we, we've got academia. We've got the corporate world, the, the Goldman Sachs's and the McKinsey's of the world, and the mm-hmm. place that all the high-performing young kids try to get summer internships, right, in, yeah. in, in school, and, you know, probably kick off on the, the rat race you guys stepped off. Uh-huh. We've got doctors in the medical community, mm. right? We've got all these, we, we've got news, newscasters, think back to like Walter Cronkite, you know, or BBC Radio. Yeah. You know, BBC Radio used to pump out around the world and no matter what happened at the same time, boop, you know, good evening and welcome, you know, and, and right. we're gonna tell you exactly what's going on. Mm. And, you know, no surprise, we have seen the absolute collapsing of trust and faith in all of those institutions, throw in Silicon Valley, yeah. right? A decade ago, Everyone would go like, we're going to launch an app and we're going to make a billion dollars and we're going to make the world a better place. Right. Buy one, give one. Here it all goes. And everyone's like, yay, go Silicon Valley. Move fast, break things. And now many of them actually believe that too. It wasn't. Yes, I think the bloom is thoroughly off that rose. I mean, that HBO show, Silicon Valley, right, yeah. was, took the piss out of them thoroughly. Uh-huh. And at the time, it was sort of edgy humor, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. But then you get 2016, you get Brexit, you get the 2016 U.S. election, you get Cambridge Analytica, you get all of the assessments. Our buddy Tristan Harris, who came out with that uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma, yeah. which was all yeah. about the corruption of big tech. Shoshana Zuboff at, um, at Harvard wrote Surveillance Capitalism. Mm-hmm. You know, we're starting to kind of like wake up and go, oh, whoa. 
Yeah. You know, it, you know, if you're wondering who the product is and it's free, it's you, you know, all mm -hmm. these kinds of things. Yeah. So the places we used to go to say, well, what's really going on? What's a trustworthy decision? That all that benign authority has been crumbling. And even throw in doctors, right? I yeah. mean, the doc, the idea of the kind of Andy Griffith, you know, like the what the, the friendly neighborhood physician with a little black bag, yeah. you know, knows the kids, delivered them, you know, helps them through, you know, broken bones, that kind of stuff. And you're like, wait, that same doctor now has got big pharma incentives, and he's been plying my little Billy with industrial strength amphetamine since the kid was six. And then that really wrecked him when he hit adolescence and now he's on antidepressants and maybe he got even wackier and wiggier and maybe started getting really volatile. So we put him on antipsychotics too, yeah. like this, co you know, this shotgun cocktail mm -hmm. down yeah. the, and you're like, that, how, I mean, the creating more problems with the solutions. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, the, the Swiss found Swiss committee on bioethics actually ruled that it was a violation of children's sovereignty to be prescribing those kind that those potent psychoactives wow. to children in development. They don't have full consent. You're like, you're completely wrecking how my nervous system wires up, how my psychology and my sense of self takes shape. Yeah. I don't even know what home feels like because I've never been there. Mm. So then you throw in typical adolescents, who am I and what's the point yeah. and where do I go? And you're like, they don't even have zero, zero on their grid coordinate, mm -hmm. right? And then throw in, you know, Sackler and Purdue Farmer and the fact that 80% of all heroin acts in America today started with a prescription for OxyContin or, uh, you know, an equivalent. Right. Mm -hmm. So the doctors got them hooked. So let's just say all of these things, <laughs> right? You're like, hmm, man, things were a lot easier. Like, let's say 1980s back, you know, you could, you could trust. I can't make sense of this all, but somebody has, yeah. and they're not far away. Mm -hmm. I could pick up the Wall Street Journal. I could pick up the New York Times. These are the journals of record. Th this is the thing, right? Yeah. Or even centralized media. There's only three TV stations. We all sit down as a family because there's only one screen in the whole house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's yeah. 7 p.m. every day. And then there's MASH, you know, that kind of thing, right? right. Um, so we've seen the collapse in that form of meaning. And you could say that's, that's kind of the you know, benign authority that was modern liberalism. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean liberal like progressive Democrat. I mean right. like... French Enlightenment liberalism, like, hey, democracy, civil rights, private property, markets, generally a good thing, everybody's right. entitled to these rights, that kind of promise. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we've had a collapse in traditional meaning of organized religion. Right. So, so, you know, the Pew Research Foundation, I think it was probably 2016, maybe, they, they published for the first time that, that the, the spiritual but not religious right, mm -hmm. the N-O-N-E's, the, the nuns, nuns yeah. right, were the, not just the fastest growing group, but now the largest. Mm. So, you know, m for all of human history, you pretty much came up with your people mm -hmm. and you yeah. came up with that belief system and it wasn't mix or match. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't a spiritual cafeteria, right? It was like, this is who we are. This is what we believe. This is our moral code. This is our hierarchy of authority. Mm. And this is the way the world works. Right. And, and so you have meaning 1.0, traditional religion and you got meaning 2.0 say modern liberalism 1.0 was all about it, its promise was salvation if you believe you're saved right but that promise of salvation came at the cost of exclusion mm -hmm. if you don't believe what we believe mm -hmm. you are heretical you're damned to hell or you sure aren't you or you sure aren't getting to heaven however we define it and you might be oppressed while you're living as well. Yep. And then, mm. and then modern liberalism, you know, the French Enlightenment, all that kind of stuff was like, ooh, man, you know, they, they, they lived through the Protestant wars of Reformation in Europe. They saw all the bloodshed. They saw the superstition. This is the kind of turf that, 
Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris and that, that group that was sort of called the New Atheists, yeah. you know, right after 9-11 and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. were saying, hey, it's time to knock down that straw man, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that was the promise of salvation, but the cost of exclusion. Modern liberalism said, look, we're going to ditch the salvation thing. That's yeah. super problematic. So we're going to offer inclusion. All men and women are created equal and entitled to right life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Mm. But at the expense of salvation, sep- we're going to separate church and state. Right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to touch that third rail of meaning. Mm-hmm. Now, both of these have obviously fallen short for us, and you can you can you can critique you know respectfully traditional religions just in the sense of hey they were almost all formulated hundreds to thousands of years ago in very different times, places, and conditions. Mm -hmm. The rate, volume, complexity, and just the burden of awareness and information we have now is kind of putting those those stress cracks on all that system. Mm -hmm. But then you've also got the corruption of the institutions, the Catholic Church, sexual abuse scandals, all those kind of things Mm -hmm. have really, really um, undermined the integrity of their position, mm-hmm. but the same thing has happened right. for Meaning 2.0, where you're yeah. like, where you're like, wait a second, this is kind of like Tyler Durden and Fight Club, you mm-hmm. know, the Brad Pitt character, right? Yeah. Where he's like, man, we're the middle of, we're the middle children of history, man. Uh-huh. You know, we have no great war. Our great war is a spiritual war. We yeah. were all raised to believe we can become rock stars and presidents, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and millionaires, and we're not, and we're pissed. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now, in your book, you you called him the ultimate nihilist. Yeah, and I, that was. I, I, I don't completely agree with that. I agree okay. with you 80% of the way, uh-huh. but I think a true nihilist doesn't take the actions that Tyler Durden or you know the, the main character, whoever, uh-huh. uh, take in the book, where they go beyond simple nihilism, where it's throw your hands up, nothing really matters. I mean, that's essentially the stance of the nihilist, right? It seems to me he takes it a bit farther. Like, well, you know what? Maybe nothing matters, but I'm still going to overthrow this secular capitalist because to me they're very similar meaning 1.0 meaning 2.0 in the sense that they're both pernicious that because we believe that if we do something then we get something mm-hmm. and what i mean by like the the secular you know, we we're worshiping an altar either way it's the altar of consumerism or it's the altar of you know whatever name your religion ryan grew up jehovah's witness for example mm-hmm. you know that that's a particular you know religion that that yeah, there was a there was a set of dogma, and I, I think either one of those has has a dogma. But with the Tyler Durden thing, um, I, I don't know. I, I'm almost I find that type of nihilism appealing in a way. Mm-hmm. So maybe talk me out of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in the sense that what that, that they were looking at, he was doing the soap bombs to take down the financial institutions. To be clear, right? I, I don't think violence is the answer. I just no, sure. Put that out there. Well, well, I mean, so so. There is, you're actually teeing up, this is a, a dog leg into an awesome conversation, so I'm happy to have it, which is, which is what happens when our polite fictions collapse around us, right? Yeah. And, and we realize that, in fact, all that we've been told and sold was effectively a bill of goods, and that reality is just kind of WYSIWYG all day long. Like, what we see is what we get, mm-hmm. and yes. nobody promised us a rose garden, right? right? Yeah. And most folks back away. In fact, uh, Terrence McKenna's brother, Dennis, right, has, has, has an awesome book title of, of his life with his brother, and it's called The Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss. Right? <laughs> Which Great was title. Obvious, right? Which is an awesome title, yeah. but the notion that, that that screaming abyss waits for anybody who is actually sincere and willing to look deep enough, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Which is what is like reality 
unvarnished and unmediated by comforting just so stories about what it all means. Mm-hmm. You know, like that Amy, um, what's that? What's her name? Why am I spacing? The, uh, the comic, the blonde haired comic. Oh, Amy Schumer. Bowler. Schumer. Oh, Schumer. Okay. Right. She, she did one of those. She did like a, I don't know, some short series. And it was like, you know, two L.A. girls on their exercise bikes talking about the universe and what the universe wants. She's like, yeah, I really think the universe wants me to bang my boss, even though he's married. You know, like, like <laughs> which is that idea of like, like I take really kind of lazy comfort uh-huh. in, a, in a story, in an explanatory mechanism that yeah. tells me the way, the way it all works out. And it generally puts me in the center of it. And it's generally a happily ever after. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So so oh, we get yeah. past all that and you get to that screaming abyss. Uh-huh. And, you know, like Camus said it in his book, The Myth of Sisyphus. He said the only serious question in life is whether or not to commit suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And that's that's the abyss. That is like, oh my God, I was born a monkey with clothes. I am blessed and cursed with an awareness of past, present, and future and my own pending morality, which as far as we know is unique in the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the two things, I mean, God, sex, and death, right? The idea, like, you could make a case that we are the only animal that is aware of all three for the majority of our life. If you think about animals like sexuality, which consumes human consciousness mm-hmm. for you know, large percentages of our day. You, know, you just look at pornography online and the number of hits, the, number, the amount of bandwidth, the number of dollars spent towards it, yeah. religion, right? And everything from plastic surgery to nursing homes to anything we try and do to avoid death and dying. Mm-hmm. Like most animals are like, I'm just trying to stay alive, eat and not be eaten. And then once a month or once a season or once every couple of years, heat happens. And then all we think about, we're consumed about procreating Mm -hmm, for a day, a week, a month, and then boom, it's over and behind us. And until maybe like two days before I die, like a rogue elephant, and it's time to wander off into the the bush by myself to lay down my bones, Uh I'm just here doing my thing seeking pleasure it's it's mm. seeking he, pleasure he, avoiding pain. To, to a great extent yeah uh, avoiding pain in fact i would say that we're not seeking pleasure we're always avoiding pain mm. yeah. uh, even especially when we are seeking pleasure we're doing that to avoid pain we're running from misery i do want to dive a lot more into that uh, before we do that because you have a, a topic uh hedonic engineering so we're gonna we're gonna get into that but this is a listener driven show so let me let me get to a question from mike in illinois it strikes me that Maybe if you're if you're living your life um, like you guys are, like a lot of others are, like I'm trying to do, about adding adding value to your life in your possessions and in your relationships and all that you do, does it become too self-centered? Have you guys felt that temptation to focus on what's bringing value to you, not what's bringing value to uh, others? So Ryan, I. You know, this question comes up, so we'll provide some context for Jamie. So we often talk about as minimalists, everything that we do or own serves a purpose or brings us joy in some way. Now, joy is a is a loaded word, just like the word God is a loaded word, right? Um, when we talk about joy, we're often talking about our experience with other people, not just my own pleasure, my own happiness, my own contentment even, mm-hmm. right? Uh, joy goes beyond the self. Joy also makes enough room for other emotions. It makes room for grief and sorrow and mourning and mm-hmm. uh, sadness and anger. Uh, you know, so when we're talking about joy, that's what we're talking about in terms of uh, a definition, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. So when someone like Mike asked this question, that's why I thought it was the, the perfect the perfect place that, to ask this question. He is sort of talking about a, a nihilism. Like, well, if I'm living a life that 
only adds value to me, mm -hmm. then yeah, there is a self-centeredness to that. And he's asking whether or not it's selfish. I guess my, my quick answer to that is there is a difference between being self-interested and selfish. Mm -hmm. Selfish would be making decisions that are at the detriment of the people, of other people. Mm -hmm. But being self-centered is, yeah, we're, to some extent, we're all self-centered, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, we have the capacity to be. And if you, I mean, it's, it's a little word play, but it, I think it can be helpful, which is, you know, you could make a case that being selfish is, it's me and mine. Right, that old Pink Floyd tune, like, I'm all right, Jack, keep your hands off of my stash, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so yeah, that's probably anti-social. Mm. But being self-centered, being actually centered in oneself, mm. right, is, is the non-negotiable first step in expanding care, concern, and ultimately service. And so Absolutely. I, I think what's super critical as folks are wrestling these days with like, wait, you know, to the point of the caller, Right. Well, wait, if I just seek to optimize my hashtag best life, like, is that it? That feels kind of maybe slightly hollow and, vapid. and yeah, vapid. And, and it's I think just critical to pan back historically and be like, you know, no humans ever have ever thought this was OK. Right. Basically. And if you take a look, in fact, Tim Wu is one of my wait, no humans ever have thought what is OK, that it's all about me. But there are ascetics who go live in a cave for seven years. Mm hmm. Is that all about them, or is there some greater good there? Well, I mean, I think if we look to history, you can see how did people attempt to break the mortal coil, right? Break the, the grind of, like, life is nasty, brutish, and short. Right. How do we attain something? And for a long, long time, some of the only ways to do that were to absent yourself, to remove yourself from the grind. It's why monasteries existed. Right. Right. And if you even think about in monasteries, right, pretty much around the world, regardless of tradition, mm. you know, poverty, chastity, and humility were almost, they were, they were consistent vows. Right. Why? Because money, sex and power are mind fucks. And if you try and play with those and find God, you're almost never going to make it to your destination. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there, there was, you know, basically, how do we exclude ourselves? How do we remove ourselves from this total train wreck that's super confusing and there's not enough to go around and, you know, and we're likely to get stormed or, you know, or in conflicts, et cetera. So let's just it's almost that. like they were removing themselves from these selfish endeavors. Yeah, in, well, in well and, and, and then the question becomes, okay, modern, the, you know, modern West, consumerism, all these kind of things. We're like, oh, now we are trying to sort of, we're not doing the monastic path. We're, we're in the world. We have families. We have relationships. We have work in the world. Now how do we do it all? Mm -hmm. yeah. How do we do it all with earning an income, with relationships and sexuality, with power, fame, you know, every, you know Instagram influencer, like all these little, these, these extra bits. And that makes it way more complicated. But that fellow Tim Wu, who's, who's the guy who coined uh, the term net neutrality for the internet, mm -hmm. he wrote two books that have shaped my thinking profoundly on all of this. One is um, uh, The Master Switch, which is all about any information platform from telegraph to radio to TV now to internet. And he's like, hey, they always start out democratic and utopian, think blockchain, think NFTs these days, think any of these things. Yeah, they right. always end up hegemonic and centrally controlled. So mm -hmm. just watch that. Mm -hmm. But his other one is called The Attention Merchants. And it's this fascinating study of marketing in the late 19th to, through the 20th century. And fascinatingly, the like three to three or four like guiding lights that shaped 
all marketing in the 20th century that led to madmen, that led to all the things we're familiar with, they were, they were evangelical preachers mm. slash literal snake oil salesmen. Like they were actually doing that. Oh, and, wow. and so, so you have this conflation of our religious and spiritual aspirations with consumer products into the 20s, yeah. right? We, it, we've, we've commodified that which is not commodifiable. We try to commodify love, religion, sex. Yeah. You know, and we do it, I mean, it, it, it's, I mean, a little bit, uh, tongue in cheek, we start the show with advertisements suck. We're brought yeah. to you by nobody because I, I'm well aware of the temptations. Ryan and I have gone through that. The, it'd be really easy to sell out for a yes. seven figure sort of thing. But what if you lose all your freedom, what have you really gained? Mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And, and so, to, you know, to your caller's question, it, it, that, that's the first point is just to understand the last hundred years of what we've been told and sold, the perfectibility of you. Yes. Right. If you can just acquire all the things, even like biohacking, mm. you know, the question is like, OK, so once you become bulletproof, <laughs> what bullets do you step in front of <laughs> on Ooh. behalf of whom? That's good. Tweet that podcast, Sean. Yeah. Right. Like 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 what is. And, and if you look around the world, every spiritual tradition that's had access to some ecstatic peak state, some profound epiphany has always come directly coupled to service and care and concern. Mm -hmm. So karma, yoga, seva, um, Christian charity and good works, you name it. Around the world, there's always been the sense of this is not about you, Cupcake. Right. This is about all of us. Bigger picture, longer game. Yes. And, 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 you know, and psychologists have modeled this as well, the hedonic treadmill. Right. The idea that chasing happiness doesn't actually get you happiness. Mm -hmm. Chasing purpose and meaning, you know, pursuing purpose and meaning, which involves and requires connection to others, right, becomes the non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. So it, so even like David Brooks, I'm, I'm the New York Times, yes. right? He wrote that book, The Second Mountain, a couple of years ago. Yeah. I didn't either, but I've read enough pieces on it. I'm kind of familiar with the concept, which uh -huh. was the first mountain is all the bells, you know, the brass rings, uh -huh. material consumer success. And the second mountain is meaning. Uh -huh. So he makes this kind of great centrist, conservative, Americana, Norman Rockwelly kind of pitch for yes. let's, you know, let's all keep on striving for that second mountain of like mm. meaning and purpose. But the reality is, is that first mountain bullshit and yeah. never existed. It was a molehill mm -hmm. that was constructed mm -hmm. to sell us on the illusion and delusion. And then you throw in like, you got evangelical origins of 20th century marketing to get to madmen. Then you get the 60s and you get the influx of Eastern religion and specifically the emphasis on interiority, enlightenment, all of these groovy, groovy things. Mm -hmm. And there's been, so I think some really compelling critiques and then, you know, and then that begets the secret and the new age and all, and, you know, and our whole personal growth space right. and some critiques of that of being like, this is sort of mixed spirituality, right? The yeah. fact that, you know, all of these ideas of like thoughts become things or I shape my reality. You get this unholy marriage of Eastern sort of Vedanta right which is a little bit like hey the world is illusory and it's only in our mind and we change our mind and then reality changes i mean that's a gross simplification but just kind of at the mm -hmm. basic coupled with and i'm a well-conditioned programmed consumer rationalist individual and i've yeah. been and i've been raised to believe it's all about me and i can grow up to be an astronaut or president Mm -hmm. Right. And I deserve best life, big house, nice car. And if I can't, I'm going to rent them for my Instagram videos. Uh -huh. Right. Mm -hmm. And you merge those two and you end up with this toxic stew of like bourgeois narcissism. Yes. Mm. And, and, right? and so mm. it seems to me that narcissism correlates to get back to the nihilism discussion mm -hmm. really well with nihilism in a way. It, it, it doesn't seem like it would at first, but mm -hmm. there it seems to me like 
they're almost uh, they're almost just tied together, or maybe they're even the same thing at some point. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they they are. I would, I guess, they feel to me like they're both sort of unstable elements. Ooh. You know, like they're they're prone to collapse. So mm. if I, I get a very strong sugar high, I get comfort, I get certainty, I get temporary self-esteem. Mm. If I really do believe that it is all about me, right? If I shrink the way, you know, and I'm in charge of everything. And then when that bubble inevitably pops. And why does it pop? Well, because I just, I mean, back to your, I mean, <laughs> I love the fact that um, your guys podcast and entire stance is minimalism uh-huh. right because effectively this this whole book is what is the minimalist approach yes what is the, the what is the l- most anti-fragile mm-hmm. baseline reality that can survive con or, or baseline philosophy that can survive adverse contact with reality mm-hmm. and not crack yeah. Right. So, so I mean, the fact that obviously, whether this is John Dunn's No Man is an Island, you know, or Mike Tyson's Everybody's Got a Plan to Get Hit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just it's not all about us. And the idea that I am 100% responsible for shaping my reality is obviously Codswallop. Because mm-hmm. you just have to, you know, anybody, in fact, there's this awesome woman. She's a theologian at Duke, and she wrote a book. She, she came down with cancer at the same time that she was researching um, Pentecostal faith healing communities. Okay. Right? And that, that's actually why I found her, because I was doing research on religion for this book. The guy wrote the book Blessed? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Exactly. And, we, and we were going to have her on the podcast, but it, it didn't work out. But she's actually scheduled in the future. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. 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 She's I mean, wonderful. And, and a funny writer. And, yes. and, 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 and this really you know, touching story of her own, like small child coming down and she was actually a member of a canadian mennonite community so she came out of like like horse and buggy territory into an academic perspective but long story short she comes down with cancer and everybody that she's interviewing in these church communities start just puking on her all this well-intentioned stuff of like and and so the book title is everything happens for a reason and other lies i've loved yes Mm. right and she just deconstructs that notion and it shows up in both orthodox community but it also shows up in the new age and the self-help space Mm -hmm. which is this this utter fiction Uh that if i change my mind i change my reality and that works incredibly well for the bourgeois worried well if my number one problem is I've got all the shit, but I'm just still a little neurotic, uh-huh. then changing my mindset changes my life. Right. Right. But then you're like, what about child soldiers in Rwanda? Yes. Right. What yeah. about the bottom four billion humans on this planet that are suffering? And we say just declutter. You'll be fine. <laughs> right. Exactly. <Yeah. laughs> just throw all your stuff away. Right. Well, I mean, and, and, you know, so back to the nihilism, narcissism thing, um, something I haven't wrapped my head around this enough to have like a considered position but i have definitely noticed a few like data points that are kind of i find deeply concerning and one is folks who are in that new age spirituality space and we're seeing kind of the rise with QAnon and and plandemic and all these kind of mashup meta conspiracies right right that i have heard people say like well-intentioned people i know say oh you know when when i've asked that kind of a question like so back to the idea that we are We've been sold a bill of goods. We've been conditioned as rational consumer individuals within the bigger context of you know, modern Western liberalism, neoliberalism. And that's mm-hmm. kind of been a, a racket. One of the things, and, and, you know, and there's critiques that are showing up more strongly now with Black Lives Matter, with critical race theory. With, hey, that, it's not just about individuals. 
right? There's actually systemic structural things that are going on. And at what point does our emphasis on our own perfectibility, right, absolve us or numb us to our responsibility to a broader civic commitment or connection or humanity? And so I've, you know, I've had people say, oh, those child soldiers in Rwanda, this is in the meanwhile in a gorgeous, you know, $3 million you know, house in the hill country overlooking Austin, you know, be like, oh, well, well, those child soldiers in Rwanda, hmm, well, I think it must have been that they chose to incarnate as that in this lifetime oh because they needed, they needed the contrast for their soul growth. And you you're dismiss like, that person immediately, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you just, you know, and gut-wrenching. You're like, uh, you cannot yeah. be serious because no. what does this let you do, by the way? It lets you still sit there on your meditation cushion with your bath salts and your, and your, and your binaural beats doing f- exactly fuck nothing differently uh-huh. and convincing yourself. And I've also heard lately, folks even had a name for it. They're like, oh... Um, we're not, cons- this, again, this is, you know, affluent, left of center, progressive folks, but within the kind of psychedelic renaissance, country culture, personal growth space, mm-hmm. saying, oh, really, you know, and this is not to hold off on pandemic stuff, <laughs> don't want to touch it, but in general, they're, say- they're saying, hey, as long as we keep our vibes high, as long as we have access to the supplements and the peptides and the various things that keep our immune systems up, um, and as long as we are healthy, vital, active, and thinking good thoughts, we're actually pretty good. We're pretty bulletproof on this. We're going to make our way through. And then, and this kind of then dovetails with like evolutionary spirituality, like Barbara Mox Hubbard and some of those ones who are like, hey, there's going to be this split in humanity, mm. right? Not everyone's going to make it. The folks that are most conscious are, will, will vibrate to the fifth density or to the Pleiades or whatever, you know, fill in the blank, right? Some peace out, you know, awesome move that leaves this train wreck safely behind. Uh-huh. And there's going to be a K-shaped, right, mm. rapture, which is, and they even called them the Cobbies. Hmm. Like the poor, overweight, type 2 diabetes folks who are eating processed and refined sugars and aren't keeping their vibes high, who are going to get culled Uh by this virus or whatever comes next. Mm. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm. Like, just stop right there. Uh Because, like, if you think through the the ethical implications of what you've just said, Right. right, it basically says we are going to dissociate from our moral and ethical responsibility for the most vulnerable humans on this earth. Mm -hmm. And we're going to write them off as, you know, evolutionary grist for the mill Mm. so that we can keep living our high vibe life and make it through the portal. This is conjuring images of, um, remember that, remember a silence of the lambs? Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, like, because what you're describing, the way that you're describing it, it, I'm picturing people who don't realize they're evil doing very evil yeah. things like buffalo bill didn't think he was an evil person sure even though he was the most evil you know it puts the lotion in the basket sort of thing and and like he didn't see himself as evil yeah and and um now obviously i think there's a difference there he was intentionally harming someone what what we're talking about is like a harm through omission of action or something well, it's the cliche you know the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Ah, I mean, yeah. it, when you're talking, what you were just talking about makes me think about religion and any other, because what you're talking about is a philosophy that people use to throw their hands in the air with the world and say, well, as long as I'm doing X, Y, and Z, it doesn't matter about whoever else. It's their own fault that they don't have the understanding that I have. Yes. And any philosophy or religion, it has, it's, it's that mechanism. It's the, it's the easy pill to take 
to say, yeah, here's the easy answer to life, and now I can absolve myself. Like with Jehovah's Witnesses, what really Christianity in general kind of uh, is frustrating, or any end time doomsday type religion, mm-hmm. is that there the whole philosophy is this world is doomed. There's nothing that we can do to solve it. So uh, all we can do is sit here and follow these specific rules, and then Jesus is going to come back, or the pro- whoever is going to come back, mm-hmm. and there's going to be some magic wand waved. Mm-hmm. That fixes everything. Yeah, and, and fixes it for me and mine. Yeah. So therefore, we're not actually worried. And, and that's, you know, so you've just kind of laid out very nicely, like that structure for sort of rapture ideologies, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a very, you know, like thumbs down on existence. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a gateway portal inflection point coming soon, and we can kind of see it from here if we squint. Mm-hmm. And everybody on the other side that is part of our tribe or group comes up roses. We're actually better off on the other side of that. Yeah. Therefore, let's pin it and head right off that cliff, no sk- never mind the skid marks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and never mind the collateral damage of what we're leaving behind. And, and most of us, when we think of like a rapture ideology, you think that's like wired up to suicide vest or wearing like a sandwich board, you know, saying the end is nigh, like, you know, and it's easy to kind of dismiss that. It's like, oh, those backwards ass folks, right? Uh-huh. Um, but it's not, right? We have, we have techno-utopian raptures. We have, you know, we're all going to upload our consciousness to computers or we're going to have yeah. brain implants or mm. we're going to disappear to, you know, we're going to have space colonies on the moon or Mars. And all of them are one percenter solutions. Yeah. They all yeah. filter 1% differently. This yeah. is the saved and the damned. This is the high net worth. This is the beautiful people. This is the meritocratic talented. These are the patriots versus the communists. Take right. your pick. Yeah. But once you, once you kind of peel back that layer and you're like, oh, this is actually a, a structural philosophical framework. And it shows up across politics, economy, culture, industries. You're like, oh, whoa, now you see them everywhere. Mm-hmm. And once you see them everywhere, you realize none of them actually pencil out. They're all actually sociopathic, Mm. you know, because they are all saying, once again, we make a hairline crack between care for all of humanity and saving our own skins. Mm -hmm. And and to your point, I mean, and I hope, by the way, I hope that conversation about narcissism and nihilism now ties up, right? Mm -hmm. When we just talked about those folks making, because as we experience cognitive dissonance, the pressure to make a lunge to gain the false certainty of one of those rapture ideologies, to wrap ourselves in that warm, fuzzy blanket, which says, hey, whatever big time, scary, bad things that's gonna happen is happens, mm-hmm. we come up roses. So the, the pull of cultic community is overwhelmingly strong. Mm-hmm. And we're even seeing this um, in movies, like in our storytelling. So, you, I mean, I noticed, what's, what's the name of the sequel to the Da Vinci Code? Do you remember? I- Whatever that is. Angels and Demons. Was, yes. Oh, could yeah. be. It was like the prequel maybe, but yeah. It was the one where basically the, the anti-hero, uh-huh. the villain. In fact, they're all anti-heroes now. They're not just mustache-twizzling vis- villains, right? It's a tech bro uh-huh. who decides, in fact, he's run the numbers. Society doesn't pencil out, so he's going to do some bioterror attack or something to cull humanity in order to save the rest, mm, right? Yeah. You look at Black Panther, right? The bad guy in Black Panther was wildly sympathetic, actually. His critique of society was bang on. Yeah. Right, and the same with Thanos. Mm, so, yeah. so, so, like you know, in the same way that we had the Sopranos and we had Mad Men, and we you know, and, and we had Breaking Bad, we had the rise of the antihero uh-huh. and prestige TV. Yeah. We're now seeing the rise of the apocalyptic antihero right. in our big stories, mm-hmm. because the idea is like, and and the question is, is like they they might not be wrong. Mm-hmm. The question is, is just is that a, you know, final solutions uh, have have a dubious track record? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm even experiencing this um, in real time in the world with some of the people that are supposed 
supposed to be on team human. Mm-hmm. So folks with, you know, bleeding edge comp- competence in quantum computing, AI, CRISPR, gene editing, bioterror, these kind of things. And mm-hmm. you're fine. And, you know, God bless them. A lot of them are on are spectrum as fuck, right? Mm-hmm. They're, 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 they are misfit toy rain men and rain women, yeah. often rain men, <laughs> you know, and as their emotional overload and overwhelm increases, the, the very skill set that leaves them most capable of helping could also be turned to the dark, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. With the most catastrophic effect. Without them even realizing it, possibly. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if, if you know, it, again. It if apes the form of being, of being um, compassionate in a, in a perverse way. Hmm. All you have to do is have absolute clarity in your calculations, Ugh. right? To right. conclude that all of us are doomed if we do nothing. Therefore, any action to save at least some of us will be the noble choice. Mm. Mm. That's it. Mm. Mike, let me send you a copy of Jamie's book. It's called Recapture the Rapture. I do want to move on very quickly to our lightning round. I know we're running out of time, Ryan. So let's let's do this before we get over to the, the maximal. Yeah. We got a question here from Coffee Breath Conversations, which I believe is a name of a podcast. But they, <laughs> they sent us a, uh, a tweet, I believe. It says, how does one find meaning after a close loved one has passed? And they are struggling to deal with the passing. Well, here's what we try to do. I'm, I'll give you a pithy answer, less than 140 characters. Uh, you don't actually have to do that. You can maunder on a bit. Mm-hmm. We'll tweeze out something beautiful, or at least podcast Sean will. He'll put it in the show notes. Here's my pithy answer for you. Suffering is not the way, but it illuminates the path toward a more meaningful life. Mm. Before we started recording, Jamie, I was telling you a bit of our backstory. Listeners of this podcast know it well. They've seen it in our Netflix documentaries. Like, my mom died. My marriage ended. Created a great amount of suffering in my life. Mm. But that suffering was rather eye-opening for me. Mm. It, as well and, and it doesn't it's not necessary you know ryan had a different type of suffering going on in his life but quite often we recognize that suffering we don't want it to linger but it, it does often illuminate the path forward for us mm. do you talk about that at all hmm. yeah i mean ultimately you know no no one gets out of here alive yeah right and acquainting ourselves with that is is radically important and um there's an idea that you know it's basically we should learn to to weep rather than whimper mm. we're so obsessed with our microaggressions and microtransgressions and triggers and you know and and and, and safety and all and it's like it's like grow the fuck up mm-hmm. yeah. humans yeah. like it's, it's ever been thus and this is as good as it's ever been yeah. right. so 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 as we experience like that the tragedy of, of loss of loved ones those kind of things open to it you know, Martin Prechtel, who's a, who's a Mayan elder and he's a poet, he's, he's a profoundly um, rooted dude. Has, has, he's got a beautiful line. He says, grief is praise. It is the way our love honors what it misses. That's beautiful. You know, and Alice Walker says, my heart's been broken open so many times, it just swings open wide now like a mm. suitcase. Mm. Right? Yeah. So let's do that. Let's mm-hmm. w- let's weep. Let's drop to our fucking knees racked with sobs. Mm-hmm. Right? And honor what we love and what we miss. Amen. It's, it's funny he says that because I I didn't acknowledge those emotions for most uh, my mom died when I was 28 and I, it was the first time I cried in my adult life. Mm. So like there's the literal weeping and then there's also the metaphorical weeping and 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 being open to those emotions. And part of that, I think, was a cultural meme of men behave a particular way, providers uh, behave a particular way. And, and so what do we do? We simply repress 
reality in a way. We, we're, we're, we're hiding reality in order to put forth the, the Norman Rockwell painting, of, yeah. in, which are beautiful, but it's not reality. And if we, we can acknowledge two things, like there's a beautiful painting here, but I can't pretend this is also the way things are, quote unquote, supposed to be. We're going to get a lot more into what, how yeah. things are supposed to be. Ryan, do you have something pithy for us? Yeah, uh, my pithy answer is this. Compassion is the antidote to suffering. So I think whenever someone is suffering or sees someone suffering, they need to be compassionate or seek compassion. I mean, I think that's ultimately what anyone in this situation would need. It's funny you talk about the, you, you, you said the thing about none of us get out of here alive. And it's funny how, you know, being raised as a Jehovah's Witness, like everything comes back to that for me. <laughs> I, I understood this. No one, no one makes it out of here alive, but because of the training, the teachings, it was no one's made it out of here alive so far. <laughs> oh, there you go. It's, and it's crazy how like, in a way, it's really great that some people have that mentality mm-hmm. that they're trying to seek, okay, how can, how can some of us make it out of here alive? Mm-hmm. I mean, I admire that. Um, but there's like a really nice, I don't know, there's something that really is peaceful when I finally accepted the Oh shit! Like no one has made it out of here alive. Yeah, and yeah, so what, what makes me, me any different? <laughs> you remind me. That, I don't know if you ever read this. Uh, Eddie Murphy, when he was 21 years old, he did this like hilarious op-ed where he was convincing people they not to die. Like we haven't died so far, and I don't plan on dying today. And all you have to do is not die today, and then tomorrow will come. And as long as you don't die tomorrow, and he keeps this this bit going. And of course, mm-hmm. like that maps out until or maps on reality until it doesn't. But um, <laughs> yeah, with with there's a, almost a metaphor there, Ryan, with the the no one makes it out of here alive, but but you know when and you talk about some of the mystics in, in your book as well, but I, I think mystics sort of make it out of here alive in a way like they don't keep living, mm-hmm. but they were living, like they were truly living mm-hmm. in a way that most of us uh, only pretend to through our Instagram accounts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got a bunch more to talk about, but first, Ryan, what do we got? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Check them out. Hey, this is Jenna from Salt Lake City. Okay, I grew up in a fairly religious family, um, and my mother has always been a really good example to me of this. Um, I've had several family members make decisions that uh, were contrary to what my parents' values were. And what I've seen from my mom is that um, she always follows the advice that she got from um the movie Bambi, uh, Flower of the Skunk, uh, his mother would tell him if he can't say something nice, then he shouldn't say anything at all. And um, that is my mom. If she can't say something nice about something, she just won't say anything at all. But the other thing that she does, or the other things that she does, um, she'll find things that she agrees with this person on, and they'll talk about that. Or if they have common interests, they'll talk about that. And if she can't find something like that that's kind of a neutral topic to discuss, then she'll ask questions about that person's interests. What are you doing right now? How is your work going? How are your hobbies going? What do you do? You know, how's skiing? How's hiking? How's whatever you're doing? Um, she never volunteers advice. She will only give advice, and this pretty much goes across the board with all her kids, but she'll only give advice if we specifically ask for it. She never calls us up and says, hey, I've been thinking about this problem, and I think you should do this, this, and this. She never, never volunteers advice. Um, I currently am dealing with a similar situation from a parental perspective. Um, we uh, adopted a child as a teenager, and 
their values are very different than ours are. And so there are some things, you know, house rules-wise, we don't want them to do drugs or whatever. But basically, I've followed the same sort of thing. Um, if I can't say something nice, I don't say anything at all. I don't volunteer advice on her life choices unless she asks me. And she's 18 now, so that's less and less common. Um, but when we talk, we find things that we agree on. We talk about music a lot because we share the same um, same uh, uh, likes and dislikes in music. So I hope that's helpful to you and to your callers. Hey, my name's Sarah. I am in San Francisco. So last week... I still had Facebook, and a friend from high school that I have not hung out with really since middle school, let's say, but she went to my high school, um, wrote something that I felt was wrong, whatever, on Facebook, and I never respond because I hate those things. But I decided to unlike it because it was very offensive to uh, my life. And then I was like, you know what, I'll just unfollow her. She doesn't even know I'm following her anyway, but I didn't realize she saw my unlike thing. Anyway, I get this huge message on Facebook about um, how she can't believe I'm not her friend anymore because of this comment she said. So I just wrote back, like, hey, just so you know, like, I'm cool being friends. Uh, I just didn't want to be your Facebook friend. So if that's cool with you. And then she kind of, like, was thrown off by that. We ended up having this really good conversation on there. Um, and then actually the next day I decided, you know, I'm just going to delete Facebook altogether. Um, kind of like I heard Ryan just not having Facebook. So I don't have Facebook now. And it's so freeing. And it's so funny how quickly you find out who your real friends are. Um, and I talked to my husband about this. And I feel like this would go along with everything you guys say. Um, we don't have the power to be omnipresent. Um, and that's been a huge problem with social media is that if you use it the wrong way, you feel like you are omnipresent. You know, every news story, you know, everybody's problems. You have to see everybody's vacations, and it's like you're everywhere at the same time, but we don't have the capability of handling that pressure as humans. Um, and I, I keep thinking that I do, and then I go back online, and I realize I do not. Um, and there's a guilt even associated with that, with news stories and all these horrible things happening. Like, why can't I, why can't I handle all this? Like, why don't I want to read and know what's happening? Well, because it's just I can't be omnipresent. I can't um, physically do it or spiritually or emotionally. All right, y'all. Thanks again to Jamie Wheel for joining us today. You can check out his new book. Mm. It is called Recapture the Rapture. You can find all the information, a bunch of free resources at, as well, at recapturetherapture.com. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. We'll also put a link to whatever else Jamie is working on right now. Uh, real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. Speaking of books, Ryan and I have a book coming out this summer. We do? <laughs> you better get to work <laughs> uh oh it's called love people use things I just uh, finished the eighth draft of it it's the never ending book mm. there was uh, 868 edits to this draft and I it's funny because I remember with our last book, Everything That Remains, there was nine drafts. And, and some of them are way more robust than others, Ryan. Mm -hmm. But what I realized with this new one is like, oh, finally got the process down. This will just be like three, four drafts. Yeah. And here we are, eight giraffes later. Dude, every, yeah. Well, we got really lucky with, I feel like, uh, with like minimalism, a documentary about the important things with uh, minimalism, uh, uh, how to live a meaningful life. Uh -huh. um, those things went really smoothly and it just set us up with the wrong expectations <laughs> of how these things should go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, it, 
I'm so grateful for the time that we had because I think we spent more time, not I think, I know for a fact, we spent more time on this book than we have on any of our other books. Mm. And it shows. And and so it's called Love People Use Things. You can find it right now, lovepeopleusethings.net. That's where you can pre-order the book. You can yeah. also watch the beautiful trailer that Jordan put together. Also, it will be available on audiobook. We're reading the audiobook I'm or just, ebook. I'm just going to throw this out there for people listening to this who aren't uh, Patreon uh, pa- patrons, mm-hmm. yeah, who who aren't patrons, who don't subscribe to our Patreon, uh, mm-hmm. who want to support us, to to go and pre-order this book is a great way to support us. Um, but if you don't want to support us, that's okay too. We're just happy you're here. Yes, indeed. Well, <laughs> real quick for our added value this week, Ryan. Usually we have Peter Doran singing the theme song, Every Little Thing. Yeah, and he put out his first song in six years. Yeah, it's called Nothing Under the Sun. It's awesome. I thought it was perfect for this episode because we talked about finding meaning today. We're in, on the Maximal episode, we're going to talk about finding meaning a whole lot deeper as well. But really, I think you can sum this up in music very well. And so we're going to play you out today with Nothing New Under the Sun yeah. from Peter Doran. By the way, we have a bunch more surprise questions this week, like how do we rediscover meaning in a formerly meaningful relationship? That tells me that it was meaningful and it's no longer meaningful we've Mm. lost a sense of meaning right also what's the point does any of this even matter ryan (laughs) dude i can't believe we're about to get to the answer to what is the meaning of life (laughs) (laughs) there's only one way to find out that answer we're also going to talk (laughs) to jamie about his 10 commandments he calls them 10 suggestions for a Mm. more meaningful life and a whole bunch more questions about meaning and purpose and a lot more discussion with Jamie Wheel. And if you want to hear all that, join us on the Minimalist Private Podcast this week. That's right. We release a private podcast episode every Thursday over on Patreon. Visit theminimalists.com slash support to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. By the way, you also get access to all of our archives. More minimalism than you can ever listen to <laughs> over there at theminimalists.com slash support. You can follow The Minimalist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minimalist. If you want our podcast show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. And if you have a question, comment, or a minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. And if you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. There's nothing to see here, nothing new under the sun There's nothing beneath the brief illumination of whiskey evenings and 90s reruns I follow the rapture and I follow my passions I couldn't give them what they were asking I want to meet someone once without a mask on Sycamore trees and frozen traffic And all the living things on automatic There's nothing holy, nothing tragic